0: I just want to briefly look at what we said last week because we're in a series for the month of February on the subject of um, people's concept of the devil. And what were the two most effective ploys that the devil has today in people's lives? What are those two? Number one, what was it? He don't exist. That he doesn't exist. That they underestimate what the devil is, and what was the second one? They Over. over. That was kind of an easy. They overestimate. They attribute attributes to God's nature. I mean, they they attribute attributes to Satan's nature that only belong to God. That Satan is omniscient. That he's all powerful. That he's everywhere present. That he's all knowledgeable. And these are attributes that don't belong to Satan. And there are people and there are religions today that state that well, Satan was really a brother of Jesus. That's what the Mormons teach. Uh, they, Muslims also have some kind of a lower uh, concept of Jesus Christ, and they put him on the level as a prophet. And it, Satan is not a rival to Jesus either. He's not a rival to God. He's not a rival to Jesus. If we were to pit or find the equal rival to the devil in the kingdom of heaven, that would actually be Michael the archangel, because Lucifer was a created angel, just like Michael the archangel. But, a, but of course, we don't want to underestimate and lower the power of the devil, and we don't want to exalt that, but we also want to understand what his place is, that he was defeated at the cross, and that he was defeated in, in the moment that he rebelled against God in the heavenlies. And we need to understand also that that whatever mischief Satan is allowed to do, it is always appointed by God for the ultimate service and benefit to the saints. And we see this in Job chapter 1. Remember we talked about that last week? God and Satan are having a conversation about Job. And we see that, the, that whatever the Lord allows the devil to do, has the end goal, the end game of it is for the blessing and the promotion of you and I in the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. And when we look at the temptation and the difficulties and the troubles that we face as believers, we have to look at it like it's not me against the devil today. You know, waking up in the morning, it's me against the world. It's me against 476. It's me against the system. It's me against the devil. It's not that way. It's we are in Christ today. Amen. Are we in our problems? Yeah. No, we're not. We are in Christ. Are we in our financial situation? No, we're not. We're in Christ. Are we in our personality disorders and limitations and inhibitions? No, we aren't. We are in Christ today. And Christ wants us to be conscious of him. I was thinking the, mo- the other morning, and all of us, you know, I don't know about you, but when you, when I wake up, those twilight moments when I'm waking up, there's a lot going through your mind, isn't there? You're waking up and you're like, "Wow, that was just what was that?" and and uh, but many times, and when I'm waking up, I just God gives me these thoughts. And the other morning, I was waking up, and I had this thought: Why do people struggle so much with co-crucifixion, with being crucified with Christ? And I was just meditating on that before I woke up, and the Holy Spirit impressed on me Galatians two twenty, this part of the verse where it says, "I am crucified with Christ." That's the emphasis of that verse, that we are that Christ is present with us in our crucifixion, meaning that it's not me crucifying myself. Uh, it's like what Don said to us the other day. It's like every morning we're like, God, bring me to that cross and just place me there. It's us being a conscious of Jesus Christ. That's what co-crucifixion means. I'm no longer living in self-awareness. I'm no longer in living in self living in, 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 in uh, my self whatever self issues I'm living in the awareness of the presence of the power of Jesus Christ that he overcame the devil mm-hmm. you know when the devil faced Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 in the desert it wasn't good fighting evil it wasn't like Star Wars where it was the dark side of the force and the good side of the force facing off in the valley no it wasn't it was a defeated devil that was still trying to have his way against Jesus Christ, the second Adam, and Jesus answered him with the word. We don't want to underestimate the wiles of the devil, but we want to understand also that whatever God allows him to do is always, always for our benefit. Another thing we said last week is that the devil cannot act independently from God. I'll say that again. The devil cannot act independently from God why is that important because we see hollywood and we see on the internet and we see storylines and narratives that are propagating the devil acting as he will just doing this over there and just having unlimited power to torture people and hurt people and to kill people and to do all of these things and at, at some moment we have this feeling that satan is out of control in our life and we have to say god please intervene that's not theologically correct What it really is happening is, is that God understands exactly what's happening. And in God's permissive will, meaning that God's permitting this to happen with the end game. And uh, as we understand, being the blessing and promotion of you and I in the kingdom. That he's limited. And I love that. And I I just want to go into this now with our with our theme this morning about our authority in Jesus Christ. And the second, and maybe the last of this series, I don't know, but understanding the devil and his place. So if we look at Deuteronomy chapter um, 28, I just want to look at that together. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 12. And I'm just so glad that everyone is here this morning. We're going to hear some great music after this by Rock and the group. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 12. And I just want to talk about, we talked about Satan's place last week, and that's enough about the devil, I think. Let's talk about our place in Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 12. I think a lot of people don't understand that the the basis of the Bible is a grace life, that we're living a life of grace with God. And what happens is that we can become very pessimistic and beaten down by the system, and we begin to face our life, like as Pastor Kyle was saying, from the perspective that's not the pr- perspective of grace. And that's why addictions happen. And I don't know, I think it's just kind of on the mind of God, but for the last four days, uh, this I, I don't know what spurred it on, but I read an article, and it just shocked me, about the, the heroin problem in America today. And I, I was kind of like a bit in the dark about how bad it is. And I heard yesterday from uh, someone who lives in B- Bucks County... I don't know how true this is or not, but he seemed to know what he was saying. That it seems that Bucks County is uh, one of the, ha, is, is the county that has one of the worst problems in the nation with heroin. Can you imagine that? Bucks County, I mean, wow, Bucks County, we're in Bucks County. That's Montgomery County across the street. But Bucks County, I mean, it seems like everybody's kind of got a great life and everything's going good. And that's really the, the deception of everybody would think that all the drugs are down in the city, in the ghettos. But we got more problems up here than I think in the city, I think, sometimes. In Hartford County, in, in Maryland, I'll never forget this big billboard that I saw on Route 1, driving up into Bel Air one time. It said the picture of a, of a family with a heroin problem. And it had a picture of a very handsome-looking professional family with kids. Big house, nice car. I thought, that's what's going on today. Why? Because we don't understand. People don't understand. Maybe we understand, but people don't understand the goodness of God and the grace of God and an eternal purpose. I think people live in addictions because they don't understand. They don't have a purpose in their life. I love how Jesus said to Peter when he failed. He utterly failed. You know, The future CEO of Jesus' company, if we could say it that way just totally failed. Denied Jesus three times. And in John 21, what does Jesus do? He said, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Just feed my sheep. All I'm looking for is you, Peter, to respond to my love. And I'm going to give you a ministry. I was like, I I, I would be like, okay, if I was Jesus PR person at that point, I would say, you know what? I don't know, Jesus. If this is a great idea that you're going to put your future CEO in place here, and he just denied you three times, using some choice words in the original language. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus gives us eternal purpose, a divine purpose that goes beyond our domestic and our family, and it goes beyond our personal life. He gives us an eternal purpose. And that's what we're all about here, Greater Grace. My passion as a as a, as a pastor is to see God, is to see people discover their eternal purpose, and just kind of push them in there, and say, hey, jump in, you know, it's God's with you and there's no way that you're going to fail and even if we fall flat on our face we're going to discover right underneath us are the everlasting arms of God, amen Mm -hmm. and so when we look at Deuteronomy 28 I just got to get to the the text here because I don't want to um, delay this anymore it says here, Deuteronomy 28 verse 12 and the, the idea that I had, I'm sorry I told all about the addiction and I didn't tell you my idea or the idea is that maybe we could have in our church sometime down the road kind of like an overcomers program or something like a celebrate recovery or something that we could offer to the area here to men and women that are struggling with addictions? And I know one church in the area has had, uh, has had 30 people get saved, come into the church, and become disciples. I thought that's a great way to preach the finished work to people that really would like to, that would really need to hear it. Deuteronomy 28, verse 12, it says this, and it says, the Lord will open to you his good treasure. Now, put your name in there and just say, the Lord will open to me his good treasure. The heavens. I like that. What's the good treasure of God? The heavenly life, walking in heavenly places, isn't it? To give you rain to your land in its season and to bless all your work of your hands, he shall lend... You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And we know this is a promise to Israel. And we don't teach replacement theology here. But we do want to say that Scripture, all Scripture, is for our example. And we can apply that as spiritual Jews, as the children of God. We can put ourselves in this, that God desires to give us of his good treasure from the heavenlies. And that he, that he would eventually lead us to a place where we are actually giving and not taking. And this is really the life as a believer that when we say that that Christian has authority, what does he have authority to do? To uh, order people around, to demand things from people? Do Christians have authority to demand conformity or uh, demand people to do things? No, the Christian has authority to do one thing, and that is to bless other people. When we think about authority, an authority figure is someone that's in a position that he can bless people. And that's God's picture of authority, that when we live in God's authority, we have the authority and the power to bless other people. When I was living overseas uh, in Ukraine and in Poland, it was a very difficult time as we were missionaries there. And there were people that were in our church that had just nothing. They just had nothing. They were living on like 30 bucks a month. It was just there was no... Welfare or social system, we would go to their house and they would always have this amazing food for us. And I don't know where, it was just one of these mysteries that I've never figured out where does all the food come from in these places. And I just remember like their attitude of giving and loving. And we'd walk out of there feeling that we had just been in the richest house in the whole town. Why? Not because they were wealthy people, but because they had the authority of God in their life to bless. And it says here in the next verse that, And the Lord will make you to make you the head and not the tail. Mm-hmm. You shall be above only. And I love that. I was thinking about those words this morning. Above. What does the above life mean for the believer? It means that we are above in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are above the, the uh, fretting and the fray of the world system. We are above it all. He God has put us there. And he says, I will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. You know what a tail represents? I was looking at my dog's tail the other day. And I was like, that's so interesting <laughs> like that, that God would put a tail on a dog. What's that mean? I'm just like, my dog's looking at me like, why are you looking at my tail? I'm just thinking, like, God, ah, what's the tail all about? And, you know, when you talk to a dog, it's, like, wagging, and it does all these different kind of wags. and that's like, It really has no other, other, than, no, I don't know what the other purpose of a tail is. I don't know what, if you guys know what it is, if there's, you know, some organic, you know, critical need of a tail in a dog's life. But I think the tail, it just kind of an ex, is an expression of emotions, isn't it? You know, when you see a dog's tail, it just goes. My dog, when it wants to chase a squirrel, the tail's, like, straight out. It's not moving, and then when it's happy, it's doing something else. God does not want us to live as a Christian of just an expression of emotions, as a tail would. A tail is just kind of following; has no idea where it's going. It's pointing in the wrong direction. You know, the tail is just like we're not a tail. We are the head. We are in Christ, who is the head of the body, and we can see where we're going with God. A head speaks of authority, and I love these words. That it says that. Um and you shall be above only and not beneath. And I love those words, above only. And I think that speaks so clearly of our position in Jesus Christ, that we are in Christ and this is a finished work forever. And so when we look at our life, and when we look at the life that God wants to give us, in John chapter 1 verse 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right or the power to become children of God. When you and I walk in faith, trusting God, understanding that we are in grace, that God is for us, that God's not angry at me today, that God's not out to get me, that he's not, he doesn't have some spiritual hammer waiting to come down and blow me to smithereens, when we understand that in Romans chapter 8, that if God is for us, who can be against us, when we walk in that faith, we're walking in an authority that the devil hates. For example, have you ever said something boldly and then someone says, Where, who do you think that you, you are to say something like that? <laughs> look at you. I mean, look at your life. You know, who are you to say that? And immediately we just kind of withdraw. We kind of back off. And the devil just wants us to back off and believe a lie, doesn't he? The, the devil wants us to believe a lie. And sometimes in the, you know, we live in this world that says, you know, your experience is truth. If you fail a thousand times, then you're a failure. That's the way it is. But, you know, that is not reality in the kingdom of God. If a man falls 70 times 7, if a man falls 7 times in a day, right? What does the book of Proverbs say? That a righteous man will fall 7 times in a day, but he gets back up in the grace of God. That is authority. That is authority. Authority is basically believing who we are in Jesus Christ Because we know in 1 John 4, verse 4, that greater is he he that is in us than he that is in Bucks County, than he that is in Montgomery County, than he that is in the health system. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the um, credit card systems. Okay, we all know what that's like, don't we? When we lose sight of who we are in Christ, what will happen is, is that the enemy kind of rises above and it seems like we become the tail an emotional responder to everything that's going on in our life we don't want to lose sight of jesus christ we don't want to lose sight of who he is i love sometimes to sit down and just read the gospels just read it like a book i just read the amazing life of christ and how he touched people and how people interacted with christ and i think there are times we need to sit down and just read the gospels as, like, a book, and just listen to how Jesus spoke to people and think about his love, think about his goodness, think about his miracles. Uh, why could not God today heal people? God does heal people today. Is, you know, does that make us? Ex- and we praise you, God.